We began a new series uh, last week. We're continuing that this week. Basically, what we're asking ourselves is, what do we believe as Christians and how do we share it uh, with others? Everyone here today has a story. Uh, You have a spiritual story. You were born and um, your parents did the best they could, uh, but coming with your family was some sort of a spiritual upbringing. Um, Even if your family chose not to go to church and chose not to pursue answers to those questions, that's your story. Um, Because we have a lot of visitors in the fall, and because we have a lot of visitors today, I thought it would be cool to start by just sharing with you some of my story. Some of you don't even know my name. Who is this guy up there speaking to me right now? My name's Ryan. Nice to meet you. Uh, I grew up in Palis, went to Stag High School. Anybody else? Former Chargers? Former Chargers? Yeah. All right. Stag High School, class of 1995, Um, but I was raised in the Catholic Church. We went a couple times a year, Um, and I did my saint report, went through CCD, raised my right hand, you know, but I didn't believe any of it. Uh, I know for others, it's more of a devotion. To me, it was nothing. It was just routine. I did it because I had to, and it didn't mean much to me. So then in high school, you know, freshman, sophomore year, if you had met me back then, I would have been a good kid who got good grades who had good friends. I would have said I was Catholic, but the truth is Jesus Christ meant nothing to me, and I didn't know what this book taught. Okay, so that's me, freshman, sophomore year of high school. Uh, And then something changed. Uh, Junior year, something changed, and I just started going down a very bad path. I started hanging out with uh, bad friends, and with that came um, drug use, with that came Uh, uh, lying and cheating, stealing things, money, stealing things from stores, just going down the wrong path with the wrong crowd. I'm sure many of you, you have a chapter in your story that's the same thing. Something changed and you started going down the wrong path. Well, I knew based on my upbringing that what I was doing was wrong, but I didn't care. I just did it. Junior year, senior year. Um, And then by the time I was a freshman in college, I started uh, doing things that are more risky, more risky, and, and if I had gotten caught or if I had followed through, they would have been life-altering decisions. Literally walking up to the edge of the cliff and getting this close to going over it. But I knew something was missing. I knew something was wrong. So at that very time, when I was going farther than ever down the wrong road, my buddy Andy invited me to his church. And I made it four years through Amos Alonzo Stag High School and I was never once invited to a Christian youth group. Think about that, those of you who are in high school right now. For future pastor, and nobody ever invited me out to their youth group. I don't blame them, I'm just pointing it out. You've got to reach out to your friends and give them a chance to at least come to your church. But there I was, a freshman in college, and I started to ask myself, what do I really believe? I was torn between two worlds. I was kind of taught something growing up, but now I was living something else, and I didn't know what I believed. Maybe you're asking that question right now. What do I believe? Maybe you never went to church. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been in a church. Maybe I think of our junior high and high school students, our college students here. Maybe you were raised in church all of your life, but frankly right now you're asking, do I believe this stuff? I was asking that. What do I believe? And because my buddy invited me to church, I started hearing what the Bible really taught. And it was new to me. It was all new to me. For many of you in this room, you'll never know what that's like. You'll never know what it's like for all this to be brand new to you as an adult. I knew that feeling. I didn't understand the words. I didn't know the history. At the same time I was learning the Bible for the first time, I had a world religions class in college, and I was learning about the other worldviews out there. And I had to make a choice. Well, what, what do I believe? Is this one right? Is this one right? Is this one right? All the while, while my life was sliding over the cliff morally. Do you want to see a picture of what I looked like when I was going through this, this dilemma of what do I believe? Check it out. Here's me back in 1996. I was the drummer in a heavy metal band, and uh, that's my girlfriend, Lauren. Isn't she pretty? She wanted to date the bad boy, so she dated me, and future pastor, God got her, didn't he? <laughs> I tell the girls, go ahead, date the bad boy and watch out, because God's going to surprise you. There I was, though, trying to figure it out. And uh, I didn't know what I believed, and, and, um, and yet God was after me. So I really genuinely started asking questions, and it took me a while to find answers. And I just want you to know that wherever you're at in your journey, wherever you're at in the questioning process of what you believe, 
um, I would just tell you the next couple months are going to be so helpful for you uh, because we're going to go into these topics of what it means uh, to form your own worldview, to find out what you believe. And hey, at the end of a couple months, you might say, I totally disagree with you. Hey, that's fine. But at least you went on that journey and you found out what this book says and you gave it a shot. What we're going to talk about is this. What do we believe? How is the Christian view different from other beliefs? And is Christ really necessary in this life? That's the question. Let's pray and then we'll get into the word together. Father, I thank you for those who are here today. Uh, Some of them have been in church all their lives. Some of them perhaps are coming back. Uh, I just pray that with humble hearts and open ears that, uh, Lord, everyone would give your word a hearing and that everyone would have the courage to ask, what do I believe about the most important things in this world? And I ask you personally, Lord, to speak, to guide that conversation and process just as you did in my life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I'll tell you how my story ended a little later, but um, this sermon is going to be special. I usually pick one passage in the Bible and we go verse by verse through it. Today, this is what's called a topical message, which means I'll share many verses. They'll be projected on the screen for you. It, It would be hard for you to try and flip to every one of them. So those of you who always love opening your Bible, just relax. I will project the verses for you. You don't need to try and, where is he now? But the sermon is based on four questions, and the way you answer each of these four questions determines your worldview. Your worldview means how you explain the world around you start to finish, okay? Here's the first question. What do I believe about origin? You can write that down in your bulletin if you're taking notes. What do you believe about the beginning? How everything began, where everything came from, what, what do you believe? There are many possibilities out there, but the Christian view is... Uh, loud and clearly uh, proclaimed in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. We believe that the universe began at a point in time when a sovereign, mighty, creative being who transcends this universe entirely, decided to be creative. Uh, We believe that the cause of everything in this entire universe lies outside the universe. And we believe that, that if you stretch back in your mind that there's a point in time when nothing that exists now existed and there was God alone eternally existing. Some might say, well, what existed before God and what caused God? Well, listen, you live in a world where every single thing that's caused has a cause, but God's outside of this world. He created cause. So there's no need to ask, well, who caused you? He's an eternal being. He's totally different from everything in this world. He's altogether other. That's what the word holy means. He's set apart. God created the heavens and the earth and he did it in the beginning. Jesus affirmed this in Matthew 19, 4. Uh, It says this, Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Jesus affirms there a literal Garden of Eden, a literal Adam and Eve, and a literal beginning of all that we see. Affirmed in the old and the new, one God made everything from nothing. And listen, when I say nothing, I don't mean like God walked into a giant, empty, cavernous room and started throwing furniture in it. There wasn't even space. The room wasn't even there. There wasn't even time. He created it all, and he did it from nothing, which leads us to look up in awe and see a being who is worthy of our praise. Truly, this being is beyond our comprehension. He is a creator. When you think about the wonders that we see in this world around us, we learn that creation was much more than a science project. It's not just, oh, if only I can figure out the chemistry behind it. It's more than a, it's more than a math problem. It's like a work of art. God wanted to express himself, so he was creative in such a way that we don't just see this like black and white math problem. We see things that make us stand in awe of the one who brought them into being. Take animals for existence. God fought this animal up. Check it out. Like, 
before animals existed, he like went to the angels. And he's like, there's going to be this thing and it's, you know, it's going to have a green, it's greenish yellow with spots on it, but then its cheeks are just going to go. And then they come back in. He's so creative. He made things that are cute and adorable, but check this out. He made things that are like, whoa. <laughs> then there's going to be these other things that are really hideous, but they're kind of cute because they have these tiny beady eyes. Look at that thing. Somebody thought that up. And then what about the wonders of weather and nature? Check this out. God thought up the idea of floating cotton ball-like clouds in the sky, raining lightning down, like this power plant made of water vapor. (sighs) Somebody thought that up. Somebody designed that and engineered that. And what about space? Check this out. Now, the Hubble Space Telescope gives us an eye into the unseen world, and previous generations had no clue just how how the universe was filled with a demonstration of might and majesty, and we, like no generation before, look into the skies with new eyes, and we say, wow, wow. And if indeed there's a creative supreme being behind every single one of those stars, he's immense. He's, he's strong. He's creative. Um, and he's beyond anything that we can experience in this whole world. We believe that. Do you believe that? Do you believe there is a supreme, sovereign, creative being who thought up everything in this universe? And do you stand in awe of him? If so, then you understand that you came from him. You see, and that changes the way you view your world. This is why this is the first topic we talk about in a worldview. Because you have to answer the question of origin. Where did I come from? That changes so much about what you believe and what you can believe once you have the origin issue settled. But the truth is this. Think back in your life, some of you longer, further back than others. There was a point in time when you didn't exist. It's one of the most humbling things you can realize about yourself. There was a point in time when you were nothing. You were nowhere. No one in history had ever heard of you, and you had never experienced anything. You were a hypothetical. You were a maybe. And somehow you had to be caused to enter into this world. Now, we believe, according to the Christian faith, that you're here because you were a hypothetical maybe in the mind of a holy God who wanted to make you. He chose to bring you into this world. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He made you one of a kind, and there's never been anything like you, anyone like you in all of humanity. That's what we believe. Is that what you believe? We believe that God's creative. But there's more than that, because in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 16, we find out that God wasn't alone. It's not like he was all alone, lonely, looking for company, and so he created people. He actually was in plenty good company for all of eternity. In the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, For by him, referring to Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Get this, all things were created through him and for him. Therefore, the Bible teaches, this is a really huge thing to comprehend. The Bible teaches that you and I live in a universe that was not made for you. It was made for the glory of another. And a father made this universe for and with his son whom he loved. If you agree with that, it changes the way you see everything in your life. But if you think that you ended up in this world for you, then that changes everything about your whole universe too. But the Bible teaches that God made the universe for his son and through his son. Write this down. Here's a question you can ask yourself. Do you believe Jesus is the origin of all life? Because the Bible says that's true. The Bible says that not only did a holy God originate all life, but his son was the way that he brought it all into being. That changes your identity because you look back to the time you came into being and you have to understand that the Bible says that the son upholds the universe by the word of his power, which means he brought you into his universe. Jesus truly is the origin of your story. He's the central being found in creation. Now, I want to contrast this with other possible views. 
Because so often in, this, in, in our country, you'll hear the phrase, well, all religions basically teach the same thing. Have you heard that before? Have you heard someone say, well, all religions basically teach the same thing. So as long as you believe it, you know, we're pretty much all the same. I've heard that so many times. Is that true? No. Let's take atheism, for example. Atheists believe the universe was made either from a mysterious material cause, something physical that they don't know yet, or multiple other universes that we can't detect somehow gave birth to our universe. But they believe everything came from nothing. Life came from non-life. Order came from chaos. That's different than what you and I believe. That's different. We don't believe everything came from nothing. We believe everything came from a divine being who made it from nothing. And it's very hard for atheistic scientists to prove that the universe pulled itself out of a magic hat. They don't know what brought everything from nothing. And they can't explain why if at one point in time everything was brought from nothing, why there aren't things that continue to spring forth from nothing, like ponies and, uh, you know, why was it just at the beginning that everything came from nothing? Um, I'm bringing this up not to try and evaluate or criticize what the atheists believe. I'm bringing this up to show you that it's very different from what you believe. You would agree with that, right? It's very different, and also they can't both be true at the same time. In other words, you have to pick one. Because things can't all come from nothing and all come from an immense divine being who transcends the universe. Those both can't be true. You have to pick one. What about another religion like Hinduism? Hinduism is a good contrast to Christianity because they literally view the entire universe differently than you do. Hindus believe that everything you see is not real. Everything you see is not real. The universe is not physical. It's spiritual. And God is not different than the universe. God is the universe. Therefore, your life is one big spiritual illusion. It's a divine projection. And you live in God and you are God. And that's very different from what we believe. They don't think there's a physical world. They think that this world is a spiritual illusion. Not only is this world a spiritual illusion, but they think this world has been, um, this illusion has been created, destroyed, and created again for all of eternity by their three chief principal gods. So in the Hindu theology, when it comes to creation, sure, this world started, but it's not real. And by the way, this process has happened millions, billions of times. So this is like universe number 5,363,000,002. And once this one's gone, another one will come, but it's not real anyway. It's just a divine dream. Now let me ask you a question. Is that what you believe? Do you believe this is universe 3,000,002 and it's not real? It's just a divine dream made by three gods? No. That's not what I believe either. I just want you to understand that they're different. They're different. And they can't both be true at the same time. In other words, you have to pick one. What about Buddhists? Buddhism came about as a rejection of Hinduism. So what what, uh, Buddhism teaches about the beginning is this whole universe, they would say also with the Hindus, is an illusion. But they would say that nothing is real in this universe and God isn't even real. At the core of it all, Buddhism is atheistic. They started with Hinduism saying everything in this world is not real. Then they went into the heavens and said, and God's not real either. One day, the highest aspiration you can have as a true Buddhist is you can wake up to the reality that nothing exists. Then when you figure that out, you will be blown out like a candle and you will be non-existent for eternity. Is that what Christians believe? That one day we'll be blown out like a candle and we will be non-existent for eternity? That heaven is empty and there's really nothing real in this world? No. Can both be true at the same time? Absolutely not. It would be absurd. So here we are at the question of origin. What do we believe about origin? And we see that Christianity is unique and different from other worldviews and can't be true if the other ones are. We believe that Jesus is at the center of the beginning. We believe that trusting in him uh, is really what led to the universe coming into existence. What do you believe about origin? That's the first question. Here's the next one. What do I believe about meaning? Why are we here? What do we believe about meaning? You can write that down. And uh, 
In the Bible, it says in Genesis 1.27 this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Uh, We believe that there is a purpose to this life, that a personal God made you in his image, to know him, to resemble him, to love him, to be like him. God made you for a purpose. That's why he was walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, because he wanted them to know him. Uh, When it comes to um, resembling God, this is the pathway through which we can glorify God. What does it mean to glorify God? It means to become living proof of God's presence or his power. Meaning you glorify God when God has done something in your life or been with you in a special way so that other people around you know that he's real. You become proof of God's reality. That's what it means to glorify God. You know him, you're like him, and then other people can get to know him because of your relationship with him. That's your purpose. Um, In many ways, the Bible compares our resemblance to God as like a father or a son to a father. Now, I have a son, and in many ways, he resembles me. In fact, uh, my mom is here this morning, and from time to time, when my son is usually acting up, my mom will look at me and say, he's you. He's you. What does she mean? She means that she raised me and she saw little me and now in Jared, she sees me. There's a resemblance between father and son. There's a likeness there. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we took our kids to Cantini, which is that uh, beautiful place up near Wheaton, but check it out. They've got all these tanks that you can climb on. Who's been to Cantini before? You know the place talking about. Kids love it. But there's this whole war museum you can walk through, a Division I war museum. And here's a picture from in that museum. You go through like the trenches of World War I. Then you go through a, you know, a beach of World War II. And my son just loves it. He's, you know, acting out the battles. But then he disappeared. We didn't know where he went. Well, we found out later what he did was he ran up ahead to the Vietnam exhibit, which is this dark jungle. And he hid because he wanted to scare us. So he like stood next to this mannequin soldier who was all painted up with the face and he was going to wait till we came in and scare us and the vietnam exhibit is set up to where you walk in and then you sit in this like dark area and watch this video as if you're in the jungle and while you're watching the video they show you all these frightening pictures of how jungle warfare was scary and people could come out of nowhere and get you and jared's sitting there waiting to scare us so he waited patiently and then at just the right time he snuck out right up behind and he was like rah And then he realized it wasn't his family. (laughs) Perfect strangers. And this kid comes up behind him. And they screamed. And and he's like, oh, sorry. (laughs) And he went right back to his hiding place. All right, now where does he get that from? I scare people, so he learned that from me. (laughs) Yeah, he resembles me. Your children resemble you. Sometimes it's not the parts of you you want to reproduce. Somebody once said, parenting is funny. You get to see your faults running around on two little legs. (laughs) But we learn something about how God created the universe. Just as a son resembles his father, we learn that we are to resemble our heavenly father. We're like him because we know him. That's at least the pattern. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. But here comes Jesus again. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. First we saw Jesus at the middle of the origin of the story. Now we see Jesus in the middle of the meaning of the story. You see, because if we want to know God and resemble God and walk like him, we can't do it without his son. The truth is, God only has one son. One natural son who bears his likeness perfectly, which is why Jesus said he's the only son of God, and the Bible calls Jesus the one and only son whom God loves. Jesus was different from every other human. He was the only son of God who fully resembled the Father in essence and in actions. That's not true of you. That's not true of me. That's why when the Bible describes how you and I get into God's family, we're not born into God's family. We have to be adopted into his family. God has to adopt us through love into his family, but he never had to adopt his son. He's always loved his son. That's why Jesus is at the center of the meaning of your life. 
That's why Jesus defines your purpose and is the key to fulfilling your purpose in life, which is why the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.21 wrote, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's only in the Son of God that we can truly resemble the Father and come to know Him and to love Him. Now, again, I want so ask yourself this question. Do you live to know and serve Jesus? Do you believe He is the origin of all life? And do you live to know Him and to serve Him? Because that's what the Christian faith teaches. Again, I want to compare and contrast this with other views. Um, what do the atheists believe about the purpose of life? They can't really establish that there is a purpose to life. The whole universe came from nothing for no purpose. The universe is physical, it's material, it's not thinking, it's not desiring, and so there was no reason that the universe pushed the button to start itself. They will say, oh, but there are many different things you can do while you're here to fill your life with meaning, meaning like you create your own meaning, but the truth is, in the end, lights out, nothing exists beyond this life, therefore, in the end, there's no reason you're here. There's no purpose for living life any certain way. Truly, this universe is futile. That's the truth. That's what comes in the box with that worldview. There's no meaning. Nothing matters in the end. What about Hindus? What do they believe about the meaning of life? Well, they believe that you were really born with a tremendous debt to society and to the gods. You have this cultural debt to your community and this spiritual debt to the gods. And really, the main thing you're doing in this world is paying down that debt. You've accrued this debt over the past 10,000 lives you've lived because they believe in reincarnation. So here you are, born with a debt that you are going to try and pay off. You're really not going to get it done in this life. But that's one of the main purposes of why you're here, to pay down your spiritual debt. You can aspire to prosperity while you're here, and maybe it'll happen. You can enjoy pleasure while you're here. Hopefully, ultimately one day, you will attain enlightenment. That's the greatest hope, but Likely in this life, it's not going to happen. So you're just passing through, paying down your debt, moving on to your next life. Is that the same as what Christians believe? That you're just passing on from life number 10,001 to 10,002? That this is just chiseling away at the spiritual debt that you have no hope of repaying this go-around? Is that what you believe? No. Can both be true at the same time? Can Christians believe this is life number one and only, and once we leave this life, it's over, and life number 10,001 going on 10,002? Can both be true at the same time? No. It's absurd to think that both of those things can be true at the same time, which means you have to pick one. You have to decide why we're here, what you're living for, what's your purpose. Buddhists believe the purpose of this life is to end all suffering. That's the goal. And the only way to end all suffering is to empty your life of all, all desire. Meaning, fundamentally, Buddhism believes that everything you've ever wanted is wrong and leads to pain and suffering. Once you stop wanting anything, then you'll figure it out. And then you'll go off into non-existence, which is really the only thing that's true about you forever. Is that what Christians believe? That we're supposed to stop wanting everything and anything now so that we can not exist forever? No, not even close. We're supposed to aspire for people to be saved and to be with Christ forever. We have many things that we are longing for. We're not supposed to deaden those desires. We're supposed to deepen them according to God's will. So we're different. The Christian view and what comes in the box of our worldview is unique and I would argue necessary. Other worldviews are very different and can't be true if ours is true. You have to ask these questions. What do I believe about origin? Well, we believe that Jesus is the origin of life. What do I believe about meaning? Well, we believe that we live to know and serve Jesus. Number three, write this down. What do I believe about morality? Right and wrong. This is a question you have to ask and answer. Where do you get your definition of what's wrong and what's right? And how do you hold another fellow human being accountable for their choices? Everyone likes to say, oh, well, who are you to judge me? What's right for you might be wrong for me. What, in other words, subjective moral reasoning. Your truth is true for you. Just keep it out of my life and we'll be fine. But is that really how we live? Do we always say you, you can, it could be right for you and that's fine? No, that's not how we live at all. 
We don't live that way in the NFL. The NFL suspended Tom Brady for his role in deflating footballs to try and get a competitive edge to win the Super Bowl. Deflating a football, and so then he had to go to court. Then the court overturned what the NFL said. Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it black? Is it white? Who's right? Who's wrong? Nobody is saying, well, we should all just go home because what's true for you is true for you and what's true. We are determined to get to the bottom of this. So much so that when the Patriots played the Steelers last week, it's all the commentators were talking about. Oh, many things have happened in this stadium. Everyone's got a story because they're cheaters. A rule has been broken. We believe in right and wrong. Maybe you followed the headlines of Kentucky clerk Kim Davis, who went to jail because she refused to issue marriage licenses because she disagreed with the Supreme Court's approval of gay marriage. This is a moral dilemma. And I'm not telling you that I can say if she was right or if she was wrong. What I'm pointing out here is everyone's trying to figure it out. Did she have the right to withhold those certificates? Should she have gone to jail? Was the judge wrong to sentence her to jail? We want to know. We demand to know. We're going to get to the bottom of it because we're moral beings and we want to know what's right and wrong. The Pope has come into the United States and he announced a plan to make it easier than ever to get your marriage annulled in the Catholic Church suddenly it's going to become easier than ever to get a divorce or to get your marriage annulled, which is making conservative Catholics Catholics feel like, well, what's right and what's wrong? What changed our view on divorce? Suddenly, moral dilemma. You have to understand where morality comes from according to the Christian view. And if you don't agree with the Christian view, you you need to decide where morality comes from. We believe that morality ultimately comes from the character of God. Right and wrong are, um, spring forth from the nature of a moral God. Because God is love, love is right. Because God is just, justice is desirable. You have moral desires because God, who is moral, created you in his image. And we can't, uh, we can't say that every view is the same because they're different. Romans 6.23 tells us about the moral uh, evaluation of humanity. It says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin, sin means to break God's law. The wages are death. We die because we sin. The very first human beings were told, Do not sin or you shall die. And they sinned. Because of their sin... Sin comes into humanity uh, built in. You were born with a sin nature. You didn't choose that. It came stock, built in. Imagine you buy a laptop, you open it up, and the first thing you see when you turn it on is hard drive corrupted. Something in the hardware is broken from the beginning. Okay, That's true of you. You had a sinful propensity from birth. Now you might say that's not fair. Why would God allow that? But, but get this, you're not just sinful by birth, you're sinful by choice. You choose to break God's law also. So imagine you open your laptop, it says hard drive corrupted, and you're really upset about that, but then as time goes on, you start downloading viruses and malware and adware and spyware and all those pop-ups start coming on your screen. What happened now? There's a software problem. Now you have a software problem, that, a corruption that you can't get rid of, try as you might. That's a really good way of looking at how the Bible describes your soul. You had a hardware problem when you were born, and then you downloaded all sorts of junk that's corrupted your soul, and you can't fix it. It's an unfixable computer. Keep trying, keep Xing out those pop-ups, it won't fix your soul, because the problem runs deeper than that. We believe the wages of sin is death, We need someone to help us because we can't fix it. And it goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin isn't just out there. Sin is in here. And God has said that your sin will lead to death, but my son is willing to give you a free gift of eternal life. It's free, which means you can't pay for it or earn it through religious merit. It's a gift, meaning you don't deserve it. It's given to the undeserving. This is different than every other religion. 
All the other religions give you a work program where if you add up religious merit or you add up charitable actions, you can offset your sin problem. And then hopefully one day when the judgment comes, your goodness will be greater than your badness. Christianity says you have no hope of earning your way into heaven. You can't do enough good. You can't do enough rituals to offset your sin. It will never happen. You can't click off those pop-ups fast enough. They keep coming. And even if you get those gone, still the components are broken. Which is why what the Bible says is what counts is a new creation. Jesus needs to give you a new heart. He needs to tear out the old one and replace it with a new one. It's a reboot. This is what we believe about morality. And Jesus is right in the middle, not only of origin or of the meaning of life, but in the morality of life. In Hebrews 1, verse 3, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Do you know Jesus is one of a kind? It says He was perfect. It says He never sinned. Well, wait a minute, He was born into a sinful world. Of course He sinned. No, He was virgin born. The sin of Adam did not reach Him. He was born miraculously. His humanity was perfect. And He had a divine nature, which means He never sinned. That makes Him special. It says here, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There's a reminder about his creation, his creative endeavors. But then it says this, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus made purification for sins at the cross. Then he went up to heaven and he sat down. That gives him a special role, a -a one-of-a-kind role in in your morality. Write this down. Ask yourself this. Do you believe Jesus is the standard of all moral judgment? Because we do. We believe Jesus is the standard of perfection. Only Jesus was the perfect imprint of God. Only Jesus perfectly resembled the morality of God. You you and I can't. And only Jesus, therefore, can pay off your moral debt. He has the righteousness to fulfill God's perfect standard. Only he can satisfy God's requirements for you. Listen, the truth is, someone needs to stand in your place and give you righteousness that you can never deserve or earn. Only Jesus is qualified to do that. Now, what do other religions, what do other views teach about morality? Well, the atheists have no basis to establish moral evaluations at all. They cannot cannot come up with a source from which every human needs to get their morals. In other words, there's no objective standard of morality. Everyone is entitled to their own subjective view of right and wrong. And who are you to tell someone else what they do or think or believe is wrong? You can't. Because we didn't get our morals all from one place. We all get to make them up as we go. Now they might say, oh, well, when you're in society, there's an agreement, there's a consensus, and and it just goes better for all, when you go with that society, yeah, but then, then morality comes about by a show of hands. And your culture and nation has no right to tell any other culture or nation that their show of hands is wrong. Do you see how there's no basis of evaluating the right and wrong choices of other people or countries without a standard? Now, we believe that standard comes from God and God's word. Because there is a standard, we can evaluate ourselves and others according to the same book. Atheists can't do that. Again, I'm not trying to tell you, what, you know, how good or bad the atheist case is. I'm trying to show you what comes in the box with it. And what comes in the box is you have no objective standard to judge the moral conduct of another person, which means you just have to live with it. There's also a problem because in the end, there's no justice coming. No one will ever stand in judgment over anyone else, which means everyone gets away with everything forever. It just comes in the box of that worldview. There's no justice. What about Hindus? Hindus believe that you and I were born with such colossal moral spiritual debt because of the sins of our previous thousands of lives. We have to labor to pay it off in this life and in the next 10,000 lives. And we probably can't. That's very different from what Christians believe. Do you see that? Do you see that we believe one being alone can satisfy the righteousness of God and he can give his righteousness to anyone who comes to him? Do you see how that's different from living thousands and ten thousands of lives and paying down your own spiritual debt? You would agree those are two different plans, right? Right? 
If financially, I said, you're $100,000 in debt, you could either go to one guy who's got the money to pay it off or you could work 10,000 lives to do it your own, I have a feeling which one you'd pick. And I have a feeling you wouldn't say, well, that's practically the same thing. Very different. And here's another key. Both can't be true. You can't, according to the Christian view, live once, die once, and then come into judgment, and at the same time, live tens of thousands of times in hopes of paying off your debt. Both can't be true, which means you have to pick one. So now we've seen that at the origin of this story, Christ is central. He is creator. The meaning of life really rests in him because we have no hope of resembling or knowing God apart from him. Morality of right and wrong, we are hopelessly broken. Only Jesus can give us new life, a new heart. Then the fourth word that helps you define your worldview is destiny. You can write this down. What do I believe about destiny? If you answer these four questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, you've got your worldview. Here's the key, though. This is really important. Each word has to correspond to the other words. So you can't say, well, I believe, you know, that nothing brought this universe in, into existence. It's just black darkness and uncaused, but one day I'm going to heaven. Wait a minute. Those two don't go together. You can't say, you know what? I believe there really is no meaning to life. You can't really figure out the purpose. But I can't believe at how people are degenerating into immorality today. Wait a minute, you said there's no reason and now you're making a moral claim. That doesn't go together. All four words have to correspond. Your origin has to agree with your meaning. Your meaning has to agree with your morality. Your morality has to agree with your destiny. And I would argue there's no other worldview known to us that's more consistent than the Christian view. Christianity has the most consistent worldview start to finish than any other. What do we believe about destiny? We believe that a creator God made us to know him in a perfect environment. We believe that that was the purpose, to be like him, but we fell into sin. He has taken action to, in the end, bring us right back to what he intended from the beginning, to know him and love him and serve him forever. It's so consistent. Start to finish, Christ is right at the center. I went to a funeral this week. A couple in our church, a man lost his father and Every funeral I go to, the same thing happens. I just feel for those who lost the person. And um, I think of the person who passed away and look at the pictures and see how much they meant to their family and their friends. And then there comes the point where I start to say, my day is coming. I'm not forever. I was made and I will end. My pictures will be up there. My family will be telling my story. It's so humbling. It's humbling to know there was a point when you weren't, and it's humbling to know the time is coming when that's true again. Your day will be gone. It's humbling to know that God could show me the day on the calendar. It's my last day. And it makes me think about forever. What happens the moment after the doctors say he's gone? What do you believe about that moment? You have to pick one. You have to pick something. What do you believe? Christians believe that Jesus went to prepare a place for us. Christians believe that Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Christians believe apart from Jesus, we have no hope of heaven. And we also believe there are only two destinations, heaven and hell. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. We believe that about destiny. We also believe that the universe has a happy ending, a moral ending, a just ending. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I would argue in your own heart, you long for that world. You long for a world without death. You do. You long for a world without sin. You do. You long for a world where there's no more mystery. You get to be with God. You long for a world where there's no more disaster. We're built to want that world. 
And the Bible teaches that only Jesus can bring us there. In fact, in Revelation 19.15, it says, If anyone's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Write this down. Do you long for the day Jesus brings you to heaven? Do you long for the day Jesus brings you to heaven? You see, we believe that there is a heaven and a hell and a just judgment coming. The Bible teaches that the day is coming when you will appear before the God who made you and a book will be opened. And it will be a comprehensive record of everything you've ever done or said or thought. It will be the most thorough, just, fair judgment and trial you've ever experienced in your life. And in the end, you will say with your own lips, I'm guilty. I deserve to be sentenced away from God forever. No one will be judged righteous by their own book. But then there's this other book that's open, the Bible says, that's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And if anyone's name is written in the book of Christ, then he gets into heaven. I already told you why Jesus is special. He alone lived the perfect life and fulfilled God's just standards. So therefore, when you stand with him, it's your only hope of getting into heaven. You have to be with him. Is your name in that book? What do you believe about the afterlife? You have to pick because all the views are different from what I just shared with you. The atheists believe there is no spiritual realm. You just die and the lights go out. And you probably don't even have a soul anyway. And so once you're gone, you're gone. What comes in the box of that worldview is there will never be justice. Everyone will get away with everything in this life. Can you live with that? Do you see how your view of destiny and morality and origin come together? If you believe that the universe was caused by nothing and you believe that it's going to nothing, morally you have to agree that justice will never be served and you have to be okay with that. If you agree with the Hindus, you have to believe that you'll get 10,000 more chances so this life really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things because you'll get another bunch of chances. But if the Christian view is right, the Bible says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Hey, have you made up your mind? Do you know what you believe? Do you believe like the Buddhists that one day you will be non-existent forever? Do you believe like the Hindus that one day you, when you reach enlightenment, you will simply merge into a sea of divine energy? Do you believe that? It's different. And both can't be true and you have to pick one. I shared with you the beginning of my journey at the beginning of the sermon. I didn't know what I believed. College, I took a world religions class. For the first time, I kind of knew my options. But in the end, I agreed that the Bible was right. I was guilty of sin before a holy God. I needed his son to forgive me, and I wanted to go to heaven forever. So I decided to get baptized. If you want to see my baptism video back from 1997, long hair, heavy metal drummer, check it out. Ryan Hall. Again, a few weeks ago, I had the joy of being in his home, meeting his parents. It's good to have them with us again today. And uh, Ryan and I shared, it's about midnight, I think, we were talking, and I just was listening to him talk about what God had done in his life. And he said, well, I got to tell you, the past month, God has really made some things clear to me. And over the past month or so, Ryan has perfectly understood that faith in Christ is the key to heaven, that eternal life comes not because of what we do, but rather because of what God on the cross did for us. To the sacrifice of the Son of the Amen. Ryan, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who died and rose again for your sins? And have you by faith received Him as your own personal Lord and Savior? Ryan, based on your testimony of faith in Christ, I'm going to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried in the light of his death. I'll tell you what, that was a special day. Hey, you're on your journey, and I know for many of you, this is the beginning, and I would not in any way to want to push or force or, or coerce you to do something you're not ready to do, but I would just invite you over the next two months, come to church. We're going to talk about each of these words, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, for like two weeks, and isn't it, isn't it something that you can say at the end of the, that two months? You know what? I know what the Bible teaches about these things as I try and make up my mind. I want that to be your heart. But I trust by faith that there are some here this morning who are ready to embrace what you just heard. You know that you want to go to heaven and you know you're not headed there and God is calling you into his family right now. 
I know that feeling because I was there, freshman in college. So I want to close by giving you a chance to respond to what you heard by asking Jesus to be your Savior. Let's all bow our heads, let's close our eyes, and let's pray together right now. Oh, Father, I know that you are at work in some hearts. I know the feeling of coming to church and feeling intimidated. I know the feeling of coming to church and feeling guilty. I know what it's like to come to church and to be confused. But ultimately, I know what it's like to come to church not knowing you. Some are there right now. They long to know you. They long for you to be real in their lives. They long to know that you approve of them, but they don't have that yet. But today they heard how. Today they heard that it's a free gift, nothing they can work for. They just need to reach out and receive through your son the gift of eternal life. And for some here today, that is great news. I want to give them a chance to pray in their own hearts along with me right now, saying this, Father, I agree that you created me and everything. You're awesome. I agree that you wanted me to resemble you, to know you but I failed. I broke your law. I chose my sin. I wandered far away from you. But I believe what I heard today, that you sent your son to save me, to give me a new life, to wash away all of my sins, to one day bring me to heaven. I believe that. I ask Jesus to save me right now. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again on the third day. I believe he ascended to your side and rules now. Give me this hope that I can live for your purpose here and forever. Father, I just think of those who are calling out to you right now in their hearts. Fill them with peace and joy. May they know never will you leave them, never will you forsake them. Give them the courage in the next few weeks to tell someone that they have asked Jesus to be Savior give them the courage in the near future to go public and to be baptized, declaring to everyone that they are yours and we will celebrate with the angels when that happens. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you've done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.